Welcome to How Leaders Lead, where every week you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I break down the key learnings so that by the end of the episode, you'll have something simple that you can apply as you develop into a better leader. That's what this podcast is all about. Today's guest is Lindsay Johnson, co-founder and CEO of Wheezy Towels. I got to tell you, I met Lindsay at a business function a while back, and I was so impressed. This is a young entrepreneur who is articulate and passionate and wicked smart. She and her co-founder, Liz Eicholtz, are building something really special at Wheezy Towels. They have made a unique product people love with differentiators that no one else has, all wrapped up in a fun, thoughtful branding that really strikes home to all their customers. And it all started because Lindsay and her co-founder were really passionate about this problem of bad towels out there that were either not absorbent or not soft. But they took that passion and then they said, okay, we're going to put some real substance against it. And Lindsay got kind of obsessed with it. Not, not kind of obsessed, I'd say really obsessed. She dove deep into the technical details of her category. And as a result, they have some incredible product innovations that nobody else can rival. I mean, it's amazing what can happen when a leader has big picture passion about a problem and then jumps into the tiny specific details of that problem. And hearing from Lindsay is a great way to learn for yourself how to pair passion with substance. So here's my conversation with my good friend and soon to be yours, Lindsay Johnson. Lindsay, it's just so great to talk to you. I understand you just had a baby, a little girl. Tell us her name and where are you hanging out these days? I did. Um, her name is Miller, and we had her in New York City on March 6th, which was a crazy place to have a baby, um, given all that was going on with coronavirus. Um, and did a couple months with my in-laws in Virginia after she was born, now back in New York City and packing up to actually relocate to Atlanta um, full-time. So baby born in 2020, coronavirus. Now that's a, that's a birth to remember. Absolutely. It was certainly not the environment I had expected. But <laughs> and I understand that you're moving your headquarters from New York to Atlanta. Tell us about that process. Yeah. So we um, the company has been based between Savannah and New York. So my co-founder is actually located in Savannah. I'm in New York. And we told the entire company about six months ago we were going to be relocating from New York to Atlanta, and the plan was to have that completed by you know Q1 of this year. And um, with me getting pregnant and then having coronavirus happen, we had a little bit of a delay there, but we are still in the process of making that move, and I'm the last piece of the puzzle um, to join the team down in Atlanta. So super excited to get the team will still be based between two locations, but now we'll be much closer to one another. Well, what kind of impact, uh, Lindsay, has coronavirus had on your business? Oh, wow. Um, we have had a lot of impact, I would say, being in the consumer space. Obviously, I think consumer demand is, is very different um, today. And just the retail environment has been totally flipped on its head. I will say that we, from a demand perspective, have been fortunate that we are in a completely online, um, you know, direct consumer e-commerce business. So we did not have a brick and mortar presence that was affected. We've also been fortunate that, you know, we are in the home category and people are spending a lot of time at home right now, which has definitely helped us. But on the flip side, it's been very negatively impacted from a supply chain perspective, um, from a, you know, a people management perspective. We have a lot of folks who have kids um, whose schools have been canceled and our fulfillment 
team um, has been the most impacted having to stay at home with those children. And our supply chain is all in Europe. So we had a, a couple weeks shutdown in our factory there. Um, so it's definitely been um, something where I feel like every day we have a new fire to put out um, that is Corona related. So I, I spent all this time planning for my maternity leave and um, for better or for worse, I didn't get much of one, but I think it's been certainly a challenging but exciting time um, for the company. Well, I tell you, you know, the air definitely got popped out of the balloon with coronavirus for a lot of businesses, and I'm sure yours has been impacted as well. But, you know, putting COVID-19 aside, your your company is really just taking off. You know, it's you've been featured in Fast Company, Vogue, Wall Street Journal. You're exceeding your revenue expectations. You know, why do you think you're off to such a roaring start? Um, loaded question, but I think, you know, for us, we... When we identified the problem, I, I will say my co-founder, Liz, is the one who really came up with the idea for the business, and it was totally born out of a, a true consumer uh, issue that she had. So this wasn't a, let's throw a whiteboard up and try to find a business to start. This was, she had a real pain point when she was shopping for towels, um, and she had a, a pain point when she found the towels that she thought she wanted and, and their performance. She didn't find a brand that she loved. She was overwhelmed with options. And, and there's just a myriad of, myriad of reasons that she thought this would be a business, you know, a problem worth solving. And so I think that's kind of where it all starts is we were solving a true problem. Um, and then the second thing I would say is that we spent a lot of time on the upfront research um, trying to, one, kind of further fine-tune that problem and, two, come up with a solution. So it wasn't just an overnight hey, we have this idea, let's launch this business. It was, hey, this is, is an idea. And then we spent a year and a half, you know, researching, um, fine-tuning, talking to customers and, and really making sure we had ticked all the boxes we could think of before we launched. And I think that meticulous upfront prep work definitely helped us um, see the success right out of the gate. Um, but I would have to say the continued success is, is because of the team. I mean, Liz and I might have started it all, um, but since day one, we've had just the most incredible team behind us. And I think that's something we are so fortunate that we have these people that are kind of helping move the ball forward, especially when, you know, I've, I've just had a baby and Liz is actually having her second baby next week. Um, so now we're reminded more than ever how important it is to have people who um, share our vision and kind of help move the ball forward. I want to back up a little bit. How did you get to know Liz? And and tell us about that conversation you had. That You remember that big conversation you had where you said, man, you know, we could actually build a business around yeah. this idea. It was definitely many conversations. So Liz, um, I've known her for almost a decade, or I guess just over a decade now. Um, I went to undergraduate school at Vanderbilt, and she was at University of Georgia. And I am from Atlanta originally and was visiting the college to visit some friends and met her through friends of friends. And it was a very, you know, loose connection, I would say, um, but was reintroduced to her when we both moved to New York City after graduating. And so she was a personal friend of mine. We were in each other's weddings. Um, and never did I, I think that either of us had ever thought that we'd start a business together. But she really sent like an innocent text to a group of girlfriends saying, you know, who has a, a towel brand that they would recommend? I just had this like very painful experience picking out towels and trying to find a brand that I was excited about and a product that, you know, really stood up to its price point. And that casual conversation turned into like a one-off side text to me that said, no one has a brand that they love. Um, you know, my towels suck, quite frankly, and there's got to be a better way. What do you think? 
And that very kind of, like I said, innocent conversation snowballed um, into something that became Wheezy. And at the time, I was in business school at Columbia, and I was actually working towards going to work in venture capital. And so I had a very different plan for my career. My background's all in finance, and I was kind of continuing down that path. And um, this was definitely not something that I had planned for, but it was once the idea was planted and once, you know, we had the data to back up that there was a problem there, meaning we had talked to, you know, hundreds of consumers through surveys and focus groups, it just became an idea that I could not ignore. Um, and it's funny because I think at first I'm a skeptic by nature. I like to sort of like trust, but verify. So like I trusted her, but I wanted to sort of do my own homework. And once I had done that, um, it was one of those things where it was like, I just, I knew that there was a problem. And once we kind of figured out the solution, it was something we just couldn't not do. How'd you decide who does what? You co-founded the company, but you don't, you're not co-CEOs. You're the CEO of the company. Right. We're very lucky in that, um, and I think this is, it's, I guess it's luck and it's by design, that we're very different um, people with very different skill sets. So her background is actually as a graphic designer. Um, she went to art school and she was the creative director at a media group called Bustle. Um, my background was in finance um, and was, you know, like I mentioned, was in business school. So we really gravitated towards very different parts of the business. Um, and, and that has been extremely helpful for the success of our partnership and the company. So she manages everything from kind of the brand and the look and feel and sort of the storytelling aspect and the vision, the creative vision for the way the website looks, the way the packaging looks, um, how our Instagram presence, um, what our you know social media presence looks like. And then I'm more of the kind of back end. Um, a lot of the operations, finance, uh, customer experience, um, and, and people. So I think it's one of those things where we very much complement each other. And I think it's great that we have the areas that we both lean into, but there's no area of the business that she doesn't have a, her finger on the pulse of and vice versa, um, which I think has been great. I would imagine being such good friends, being in each other's weddings, that would bring on its own set of challenges when you're really trying to build a business. I think it does. Um, it does have its challenges, but in our view, it has more perks than it does challenges. So for us, you know, we know each other really well, which um, is great. We never really have to sort of guess how someone's going to react to something or, or what they're thinking or feeling. We can kind of anticipate that. And then the other thing is we've just learned that we have to be extremely transparent and honest and upfront. We like do not let things fester. Um, if there's a decision being made that someone doesn't agree with, like we just, we've said that we both have the best intentions, right? We both have the same vision. Both of our goal is, is for this company to be a massive success. And so when you kind of remind yourself, hey, we both have the best interest and the same interest at heart here, um, it makes those conversations a lot easier. So you get united behind this idea of solving this problem in, in the towel category. How did you two go about building your know-how on towels? Um, it was a long process. So the first thing we did was just kind of from a consumer standpoint, said, hey, I'm a consumer. What was it about the towels that Liz didn't like? And what did she wish that they were like? And I went through that same process. So, you know, ordering towels from truly dozens of competitors out there and saying, okay, is there a towel out there that kind of fulfills the promise of being super absorbent, super soft, you know, lightweight, but not, but substantial enough that it still felt luxurious, durable enough that it lasted after, you know, dozens of washes not falling apart after two washes. 
um, kept the soft feel throughout that time. And so we ordered all these towels, went through the process and came to say, okay, this towel really, you know, fulfills the problem of, you know, softness. It has a great hand feel, but it's not super absorbent. This towel over here is absorbent, but it's not soft or whatever it was. Um, and once we had sort of narrowed down what we thought, I, I actually took my uh, business school Christmas break or winter break rather, and went to um, a, a textile show in Frankfurt, Germany, where there were 80,000 plus vendors um, uh, from all over the world. And I came with two huge suitcases of all the towels that I had tried and I had labeled what I liked, what I didn't like, um, and basically went vendor to vendor saying, here's what I want you to make for me. Can you make this? Um, and through those conversations over the course of, I guess I was there for three days, um, learned an immense amount. Um, and, and sometimes I had to act like I knew more than I did at the time <laughs> um, to get them to take me seriously. But, you know, ended up leaving that experience saying, okay, like what we're actually after is, is quite difficult to do, but it, it didn't yet, yet exist. And that, again, was kind of exciting to me that no one else was doing what we were going to do with the, the product. Um, and, and that was sort of step one. And then from there, once we had found a manufacturer who was actually willing to take a chance on two girls and an idea who had like no financial backing and, and no company name or anything, um, we spent the next six months sampling with them. And so coming up with, you know, how could we actually bring this product to life? Um, so it was definitely a, a trial by fire <laughs> learning. Yeah, that's, you know, most products have a real origin in terms of their fabric or their essence. What, what's what's your special origin? So our special sauce really, so I, I'll, I'll say this, that having the best materials these days is sort of table stakes. So having 100% long staple organic Okatech certified cotton, um, it, that that's table stakes. And quite frankly, there's no monopoly on that. You know, you, a lot of people can have access to the same great materials. Our secret sauce comes down to weight, the way those materials are actually spun into yarn. So we take our raw cotton and we spin it into yarn through a Japanese, it's actually done in Japan, it's a Japanese patented technology that infuses air into every single yarn um, as that yarn is spun. And that is what makes our towels, it, it, the way the, the air pockets work is that they are basically making the towel equal parts absorbent and soft. So the air pocket is what captures the, the water when you use it. And then every time you wash it, they expand, making it softer and fluffier over time. Um, and that's basically the real kind of ingenuity behind the product itself. And then we, of course, added on several things that are specific to Wheezy, which are rounded you know, corners for a more aesthetically appealing look, a hook that makes it super functional. We you know, opined on the weight of the towel, like I said, making sure it was lightweight, but substantial enough that it felt luxurious. So there's all these little things um, that went into the product to make it kind of what it is today. You know, Lindsay, on your website, you say that you spend an unhealthy amount of time <laughs> thinking about towels. I, I think that's obvious. You know, I love that language, though. Mm -hmm. I love that attitude of this unhealthy amount of time thinking about towels. You know, how does that feed the kind of personality you're trying to build for your brand? Yeah, I think the Wheezy brand, one of the biggest pain points that Liz had was that all of the kind of luxury brands out there felt so archaic and stuffy and, and quite frankly, just, you know, unapproachable to her. Um, we're both young. We're, you know, in our, I'm, we're, I'm 30, Liz is 31. And it just felt like everything out there that was luxury just felt like something that was made for our parents or our parents' parents. And we really wanted to take something that was, you know, luxury, but make it approachable. Um, both from a price point perspective and a brand perspective. So we wanted Wheezy to feel 
like your friend, um, someone who's sort of like a great hostess who's, whose house is always open to you and whose wine fridge is always open to you and someone who's kind of this new age laid back hostess who's going to give you the best towels, but she's going to do it, you know, not in this like super stuffy kind of unapproachable way. And that's really the, the, the origin of the name Wheezy came from the idea that it's a nickname for the more traditional name Louise or Eloise. Um, and Wheezy is really meant to be the more modern, kind of approachable, fun um, version of that. You said you started your career in finance, but it seems like you, you really have a great marketing sense. You know, where'd you get your marketing savvy? <laughs> I mean, I would just say that I'm a super consumer, if I'm totally honest. I'm like, you know, constantly checking out new brands and um, shopping in every category under the sun. Like, I just love kind of seeing what's out there and comparing products to one another. So I feel like just being an avid consumer, which I, I could say probably uh, many females can relate to uh, males as well. But I would say that I, I just I'm, I'm very hyper aware of what's out there and how I'm being marketed to. Um, so it's I think it's sort of something you can't necessarily learn. Like marketing is kind of like um, there's, of course, many classes I took at business school and in undergrad that were helpful. But I think it's just kind of an innate thing, like either you you pick up on that stuff naturally or you don't. You know, it's really interesting because you talked about pain points and the problem with towels and seeing that every entrepreneur I talk to, Lindsay, understands the importance of finding the that the most important problem that occurs most frequently in any category they're trying to disrupt. It seems like you 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 got to that and you got to it intuitively. Yeah, absolutely. I think for us like that defining the problem piece was so important um, before you can actually try to understand if you can be the person to provide the solution. Um, so we spent so much time, like I said, with customers and just interviewing people. I mean, we had friends. I think our friends were, were about to kill us because we we truly would send towels and have them sample them and then take a survey and then have a phone call about it. Um, and then we, we blind surveyed tons of consumers and paid for different panels to get feedback. And I think all of that upfront research helped us distill the problem, um, which was that there was no one brand on the market who was selling a towel at an affordable price point that was equal parts soft and absorbent. Um, and that was just sort of like the bare minimum problem. And then there's a million things we've done in addition to that, which is, you know, online, easy customization and kind of the great customer experience and the brand you've talked about. So there's a lot that went into it for sure. Yeah, well, that's great. It's, it, it looks pretty simple now, but I know a lot went into it, as you said. You're obviously a student of what's going on in the consumer world. So you had to go to school, I'm sure, on other e-commerce businesses. And and when you did that, what did you conclude after taking a look at what everybody else was doing? Um, I think I, so I love like the consumer space, as I mentioned. And I think I spent a lot of time talking to founders, um, both in the home space and, and outside of the home space. But I think what I've learned is that there are so many opportunities out there. And, and this market in particular, I feel strongly is not a winner take all market. Um, I think that consumers, um, there, there's a lot of different types of consumers out there. And we might not be the choice for everyone, but I think we recognized a space which was, you know, a hole in the market in terms of the problem we were solving and the product we've already talked about, but also within the brand. Um, and I think there is just ample opportunity out there and to find sort of a niche um, in, in any space. And I think it just goes back to making sure you really know who your customer is and you know how to talk to them and being very, very targeted and specific in that way. Um, so I think it's just, it's, 
the consumer, um, I'd say landscape is definitely just one you have to remind yourself that it's not a winner take all market in many categories. It also sounds like you're saying that, you know, when you look at e-commerce, that no no playbook is the same. Yeah, totally. You got to find your own way. I think that's something I, I asked so many founders. <laughs> I think it's something that as I've gotten a little bit older and, and, and you know, the months past that Weezy's been around, I've gotten more confident in my own intuition. I think at the beginning of all this, it was really easy for me to, you know, call up other founders or VC investors or who, you know, anyone who had a successful business career and said, you know, I ha- what do you think about this? What do you, you know, can I get your stamp of approval on this? Or, or I have this problem. Do you think I should do X or Y? And what I've come to learn is that everyone has an opinion and um, that's great because I'm asking for it and I want to use that opinion as an input. And I think it's my job to take all of those inputs, sift through them and then make the right decision for Wheezy. And and no company is the same. I think that um, it's, again, being a first time founder, it's tempting to sort of take someone else's success as a playbook. And I've, I've made that mistake at the beginning, honestly, you know, with a you know, couple decisions just saying like, okay, well, they did this and, and this, you know, marketing messaging worked for them or this was the marketing channel that worked for them. So let's just do that. Um, and that's just not how business works. I think every company is very unique and no one knows the company better than than Liz and I. So we had to learn to sort of sift through all, all that noise and make the decision that's best for us. You know, innovation is something that everybody talks about. And you obviously innovated to, to break through in the towel category. So, you know, but when you think about, you know, how you've migrated and, and how you look at innovation uh, as you go forward, what's your process for innovation and, and what what innovation are you most proud of? Oh, wow. That's a good question. I have to admit, I'm, I'm really not the most creative person. And Liz is sort of my creative, my creative go-to. And I, I think that's not to you know, sell myself short in any way, but I think it's the way that our innovation works at Wheezy is that we really work together um, on any kind of new initiatives. And I would say Liz is full of ideas. Um, and the way that I sort of operate is helping kind of talk through and work through all of the incredible ideas coming out of Liz and then deciding which ones to prioritize and how to sort of then attack those ideas um, and bring them to reality. And I think that that's just something that it kind of goes back to surrounding yourself with with the people who have strengths that where you have weaknesses. Um, So for me, I wouldn't necessarily say I'm personally the most innovative person. Like I said, Liz was the one who even came up with the idea for this company. But what I've come to, to learn is to see through all of the ideas that are coming out of her and basically help her, you know, and I work together to prioritize those and then figure out how to attack them. Um, in terms of specific innovations, I think like, you know, the product itself was was a huge mountain to climb and I, I'm so proud of where we ended up. Um, I think in terms of the way we've approached thinking through the trade-off of, of growth and profitability is, you know, surprisingly sort of unique. So I think in the direct-to-consumer space, particularly in New York City, um, a lot of companies here, you know, raise a lot of venture capital money um, and they're kind of going after growth for growth's sake or growth at all costs rather. And sort of they forget about the profitability side, which I think gets them into a lot of trouble down the road. And we took an approach and said, hey, you know what, we're going to focus on profitability on day one. And that's going to be sort of our North Star. And so we make a lot of decisions with that in mind. And I think while that shouldn't be innovative because every business I think exists to make money, surprisingly, um, in the New York community, it was definitely something that we got a lot of 
kind of raised eyebrows when we said you actually were no, we're not interested in, in raising venture capital, and here's why. Yeah, so it sounds to me like you've had to say a, a no to a lot of things. But one of the things that I noticed on your website, again, is that you have, and I thought this is what you would say because I, I, I'm not that close to your product line, but I, I was really intrigued by the idea of these no-stain towels. For, oh, the for makeup mascara. towel. From a product standpoint, um, I think that, again, I have to credit Liz with that idea. Um, but it's one, it's something that for us, it was sort of a no brainer when we, once we decided that we were only going to be selling white towels, um, and you know, most companies out there would tell you that's like just a a horrible idea from a merchandising perspective. You want colors, you want options and not everyone wants white and you're excluding a customer type by doing that. We felt very strongly from an aesthetic and a brand perspective, that was the right play for us. But being women who both wear makeup, it just felt like, you know, we were doing a total disservice to all of our friends out there that were going to buy these towels and wipe their makeup all over them. And then they were going to be ruined. Um, And that was going to be on us for only providing them a white towel as an option. So for us, that was sort of a no brainer. Like if we're going to sell only white towels, we have to also then sell a solution to the makeup stain towel problem that happens. I think it's sort of plagued all of our friends. And and quite frankly, I I grew up with my mom yelling at me all through middle school and high school saying, you know, you're you're ruining my nice towels. (laughs) So um, the makeup towels we sell are a deep navy um, and and they have little eyelids on them. They say stain me. So those have been um, certainly a bestseller. Lindsay, it seems like you're, you and Liz are really keen on on tapping into creating this emotional connection with towels, which almost sounds kind of funny even saying it. <laughs> but uh, you even compare towels to, to art. It, you know, is that wishful thinking? I mean, I know you love your towels, yeah. but can you, yeah. do, do consumers see it that way? I think it was the, the insight there was that I think twofold. One is that when you are spending so much time um, either using a product or looking at a product, so if you're not using the towel, typically it's hung up in your bathroom, it should be something that you love and it should be something that you know really brings you joy and happiness. And it shouldn't be just viewed as this utilitarian commoditized product that is a, you know, a product that drives you off. Um, it, we felt that it could be so much more than that. And so to your point about a towel being art, we really wanted to make it so the consumer could design a towel that was unique to them through the different sort of color choices and embroidery options we have. So, you know, actually 70% of our consumers do take advantage of the customization aspect of our product. So they're able to put their name on it or their monogram, initials, their address, whatever it might be, um, in, in a 15 different thread colors and 10 different fonts and they have all these choices. And I think that's something that's really also set us apart is that we're kind of delivering this, not only it's a a towel that's a fantastic quality towel, like we've talked about, but it's also something that's going to be pretty to look at in your bathroom, Um, which is all the time that you spend at home, especially today, it should be something that you're happy about, not just kind of view as, like I said, a commoditized product. So is the customization your real competitive advantage, the your own monogram towels, etc. It certainly does set us apart from the competition, particularly in the direct-to-consumer space of so some of the newer businesses. I think that um, it's it's really hard, if I'm totally honest, to operationalize um, a customization operation. And I think 
every time we would run into challenges as we were setting it up, I would get more and more excited about it because once you realize how challenging it is, that just means like someone else is just like less likely to, to try to attempt it themselves. Um, so despite it being kind of hard, hard to attack, um, I think it certainly is a competitive advantage for us. So we're able to offer customization totally online. You can see exactly what your towel is going to look like before you order it. Um, and then we, we turn it around really quickly. Um, so a lot of times you have to drive your towels in person to a monogram shop. It'll take them a couple of weeks. Um, so we try to kind of take all the pain points out of that. As I understand it, you've got a Wheezy starter kit, which is four bath towels and two hand towels, and it goes for 230 bucks. Now, that's definitely, I would say, in, in the luxury category for a lot of people, certainly. Who, who do you, how would you describe your target? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, luxury, but what I would say is that it's on the low end of that. So our target market is really, um, I, I would say our, our consumer tends to be female. So we have probably just 95% of our consumers are female. Um, it's definitely someone who cares about the way their home looks. Um, it's definitely something that it's, if you're going to monogram or embroider your towels, it's something, again, that's something going to bring you joy in your bathroom. So there's a little bit of um, someone who's I don't want to say the word vain, but someone who, who cares about the, the way their bathroom looks. Um, and I think it's someone who's definitely has additional income to spend on things like towels. So it is a luxury product. But what we found more and more, again, it's, it's not people who are necessarily graduating from the Amazons um, or the Bed Bath & Beyond. It's, it's someone who's coming down from an even higher price point towel. So someone who's typically buying super luxury products will use us and then write a review and say, I can't believe how cheap these towels are. It's insane how affordable these are for what I'm getting. Um, so we, we do represent a serious value despite being a higher price point. That's, that's fantastic. Value is always a great thing to have from a consumer's vantage point. You know, the home goods category you mentioned, you know, it is the fastest growing category on the internet. And it's one thing to have a good idea, Lindsay, but how did you and Liz decide to break through the clutter. How how are you actually getting the word out on these this great product you've created? Yeah, marketing is um it's something I, I spend, you know, 90% of my time thinking about because as a consumer products business, um, you know, the most important thing is that people know about you. Um so I think getting, you know, consumer awareness and brand awareness is so important. So in terms of breaking through the clutter, I think day one, what we focused on was really getting press. So you mentioned, you know, Fast Company and, and Wall Street Journal and Vogue. You know, those relationships took time to cultivate. And that wasn't just them hearing about us um, and, and happenstance. You know, it's hard work to kind of get in front of the right people and present your product and, and make a pitch to them as to why it's a compelling story to, to write about. Um, so press was something was kind of our, our number one thing we focused on before launch. And then since we've launched, I'd say it's really been twofold. One is, is relying on our customers to be our, our best brand ambassadors. So them kind of organically telling their friends and family and gifting our product. Um, and the second one is, is the paid channel. So today we do rely heavily on online on marketing. So things such as Facebook and Google. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier, you know, online business today, you don't have brick and mortar uh, retail. Is that something you see in your, your future? I do. Um, I definitely do. I think that uh, brick and mortar gives you the ability to sort of bring the brand we've talked about already to life um, in person. It gives you 
the, a chance for the customer to kind of, you know, see Wheezy in the flesh and kind of look the look and feel and the personality of the brand. Um, but also, you know, actually experience the product in person. I think towels are something that, you know, y- you might want to touch and feel. You might want to understand how, what it's going to look like or see the color in person. And so I think giving consumers that opportunity is something we definitely want to do. And I think there's a lot of fun stuff um, we can use that space for besides just selling product. You know, we can have events, we can connect with our customers in person and um, really kind of bring the whole story to life. You know, Lindsay, we were talking earlier, you, you jumped right into this business without any real management experience. You now have almost 30 employees. You're, you're growing fast. You know, what are you learning about yourself as a leader? I've learned so much. Um, I think that I've learned that I really value transparency. Um, so I think that's something I've learned. I, I think openness, a lot of people that work at Wheezy have told me it's like so refreshing that you know, I'm kind of always available and I always like to t- chat things through. I want to be their biggest advocate. Um, I think we kind of think of ourselves as a pretty flat organization. And that's something that um, having grown up in my career, rather, in a very bureaucratic setting, that I was kind of surprised to see that I, I, I'm much better in a, a flat organization rather than something where there's a lot of hierarchy. Um, and I've also learned that I mean, I mentioned this earlier, but sort of trust, but verify. I'm a very data-driven person. And so I I ask a lot of questions. Um, I just, I'm a constant sort of student. Like I love to learn what's going on and kind of learn from everyone around me. And and I I think we've just, I think we've put together just a a fantastic team. And I think I've learned now being in this position because I've truly never managed people before. And I think I've now realized just how important people management is. Um, and I think back to the times when I had those great mentors and great bosses and how that affected my performance. Um, and I want to be able to do that for our team. So it's definitely a lot of learning um, on the job, but it's it's been an, an incredible experience. Well, you probably have a lot of people that are learning learning your brand, learning the business. And are you able to turn that lack of experience into into an advantage or? I think it's absolutely an advantage. I think it's, um, look, no one on our team has come from a, a you know, even a home, uh, either a home brand or even an e-commerce company. I mean, we have people coming from accounting backgrounds to, um, you know, consultants to um, someone who worked at a bakery. Um, I mean, we have people from all over. And I think that's absolutely work to our advantage because we're attacking every problem again that's unique to Wheezy. So it's not that we have someone coming in and saying, hey, this is what worked at my old job and here's how we need to do this. Instead, it's like, hey, let's attack this problem anew and kind of come up with you know different p- potential solutions. And there's a lot of quick trial and error. Um, we don't get wed to any one solution. We try a ton of different things until we see what works and we're super nimble in that way. I think because none of us have ever done it before, um, that's the only way we can, we can learn. It's just by trying. Have you gone about codifying the behaviors that you want your culture to be yet? We have. We've just now started to sort of, um, I think culture for us, it was definitely something that sort of evolved naturally. Um, and now that we're all working remotely, it's it's more important than ever to sort of be very deliberate about it. And I think at the beginning, it was quite frankly, just a time thing. You know, things were moving so quickly um, we didn't really have at the time. We didn't sit down and say, "Here's what we want from our culture." Um, but I think now that we've had sort of more people on the team and we have a little bit more time to sort of dig in, we've we've now 
said, this is what's important, which is, like I said, transparency is super important. We're all very open. We're all very available. We communicate nonstop with one another. I think just um, making sure we are all acting as a team and, and everyone sort of has each other's backs, which has been great. Um, during the COVID crisis, we've been doing these virtual happy hours and virtual check-ins just to make sure we're kind of all um, still working together as a team. And I think all of that stuff, again, kind of is, is one of the big reasons why we've been successful is just is the people that we have on the team. What has been your biggest management challenge so far, Lindsay? I think, um, like I said, I, I'm very transparent. So I'm constantly wanting to know how people are feeling and how they're doing and, and kind of like asking a ton of questions. Um, but not everyone wants to be managed in that way, right? Not everyone wants like, <laughs> like I, I, I don't want to be a micromanager, right? So I think just learning that the style that I have is not the style that's going to work best for everyone on the team. So kind of having to learn that each person is different and each person wants a different level of involvement from you and a different level of support from you. And kind of like, how do I adapt, you know, my style for each person I'm working with? Um, and I think just, and same thing is like how much um, coaching does someone want versus not? Um, and, you know, kind of like in different areas. And so I think it's just kind of learning everyone is different um, and kind of adapting your style accordingly. Lindsay, I first met you and we were to some business function. I forget exactly what it was, but I, I was like blown away. I mean, you were, you know, you're, you're wicked smart. You're, you're really articulate. You're passionate. How do you keep from overwhelming the people that work for you? And, and, and how do you make sure that you get healthy debate so that you can really make healthy decisions? Yeah. Um, I appreciate the compliments. It's a good question. I think I definitely have an intensity about me that I didn't really recognize before, before being in the position that I'm in today. And I think it could certainly overwhelm um, folks. And I think that people know that I, I do have a high bar, right? I think that um, I expect high attention to detail and I expect people to sort of um, think things through before they present ideas. But at the same time, I want people to know that, you know, we encourage, like you said, sort of healthy debate. So we, a lot of times you know, people will come to us and say, or to Liz or I or whoever and say, here's the problem, you know, here's what's going on. Like, let me know what you think. And like the way that I sort of challenge back is like, well, let me know what you think. Like, you know, you're the one who's tackling the problem. You, I, I trust you. Um, and so kind of making sure people know that they were hired because we trust them and reminding them that I've never done this before. So it, a lot of times, you know, they come to me and say, what do you think? It's like, well, I want to know what you think. And then we can talk about it. Because like I said, this is my first time running a company. Um, this is my first time managing people. So I'm learning every day as well. And just kind of having that humility to remind people like we're all in this together and we all have the same goals. So let's just make sure we can like talk it out, I think is so important. Um, and it's, it really empowers people. I think I actually you know, recently was chatting with two people that I manage and was asking them about my leadership style as I was thinking for this podcast. And both of them said, you know, I feel very empowered by you because constantly you're asking me what I think and um, reminding me that, you know, they often have the right answer. They just need the encouragement from, from me. Um, so that's been something I've, I've definitely learned. Fantastic. You know, you're hiring people. You're really proud of the people that you've hired. What's the single most important trait that you look for when you're hiring someone? I'd have to say um, grit and just 
hard work drive, um, someone who I, I just that has that passion to kind of um, move the ball forward. I think being in a, a position that we are at Wheezy, things are changing all the time um, and it's a very fast paced environment and um, we have to be super flexible and nimble. And I think if you have someone who's kind of looking to, you know, do the bare minimum or just kind of like, you know, come to sort of like a standard nine to five job. That's like, that's not really what we, we have going on today because everything is changing so quickly. So I think just someone who has that innate passion and drive um, is so important. And again, like the resume doesn't matter to me as much. Like, I don't really care what people have done before. I just care that they've done it, you know, with enthusiasm and passion and um, they're hard workers. Um, Because if you don't care about what you're doing, if you're not passionate about what we're selling or kind of our vision, like you just won't be happy here. Right. Um, so I think that's something that's been so important for us in, in every hire we've made. So Lindsay, you were coming up the finance track. You were on a fast track there. Now you've got this company you're building. You've, you know, so you've obviously experienced a lot of success very early on in your life. Do you have an epic fail yet? <laughs> God. Oh man. I mean, I wouldn't say there's been like an epic fail, but there's been a lot of little failures. Um, I feel like I haven't been in a position yet to have an epic failure. I know it's coming <laughs> one day soon. I'm sure. <laughs> Trust me, it is. <laughs> um, but there's just been a it's it's a lot of little failures, right? I think there's a lot of bad decisions that have you know that are made, and I think I I, I don't they don't bother me. I think it's the best way to learn. Um, every bad decision that you know in retrospect, wasn't the right one has taught me for the next time going forward. And I think that's something else we like tell our team all the time. It's just like, don't be afraid to fail. Um, I think we try stuff all the time. That's, you know, whether it be like a new marketing channel or a partnership or changing the product in some way, or, um, you know, negotiating with that, the lease I mentioned, there's been so many times where I've like, God, like, shoot, I shouldn't have said that, or I did that the wrong way. Um, and, And every time it's like, yeah, that sucks, but now I won't do it again, right? Um, and I think that's just sort of the environment we've created at Wheezy is like giving people enough rope to, to make mistakes for sure. That's great. You know, this has really been a fun conversation for me. One of the things I like to do is I like to have a lightning round Q&A. Oh, gosh. Okay, so are you ready for this? I don't know All if right? I am. All right. <laughs> the, 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 three, the three words that best describe you. I would say driven, um, social and probably hardworking. If you could trade places with one person for a day, who would it be and why? Oh, wow. That you have stumped me. Um, there's, it's, it's, it's probably going to be Liz, uh, my co-founder, which I know might be a weird, uh, answer. We've talked a lot about her, but we're so different. And sometimes I always joke with her. I'd love to get inside of her brain. <laughs> it, it operates. It <laughs> operates so differently than mine. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. You know, I always say, you know, when you bring two people together or, or a team together, you put them in a blender. They come up with a super milkshake. It sounds like you two are that super <laughs> milkshake, which is terrific. You know, and, you know, what's something that, about you that few people know? I would say I. I'm definitely get like self-conscious. I think a lot of people view me as someone who like has, thinks they have all the answers and is very confident. And 
I, I'm still learning and I, I definitely, every day, um, I'm, I'm nervous that I'm making the wrong decisions. And, and while I might exude confidence on the inside, I'm definitely freaking out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any hidden talents, Lindsay? Hidden talents. Oh uh, God, unfortunately I don't. I'm pretty, I'm pretty boring in that category. <laughs> if you could get advice from one leader to help you grow your business today, who would it be and why? Um, I would have to say Sarah Blakely. Um, she's someone that I've looked up to as a female entrepreneur who, you know, over 20 years ago kind of created an entirely new category and has built an empire. And she did it, you know, totally on her own. Um, and I think that's someone that's really sort of inspired me um, and someone I really look up to and, and would love to, to pick her brain. Cow bar or hook? I'm a hook girl. <laughs> <laughs> As I'm sure you know, I got that last question by checking out your blog and, yes. and, and your interviews with what you call the wheezy hype girl. Oh, yes. What's a wheezy hype girl? Um, well, right. So far, they're only girls. We, we're hoping for some wheezy hype guys. So maybe you can be be that for us, David. But um, they're basically brand ambassadors for us. So people who love the product and have, have been wheezy customers and we just want to highlight them. Um, and tell the rest of our customer base about about the different um, women that are buying our product. You know, speaking of of women, I, I imagine you have mostly women working on your team. How do you look at diversity? Am I wrong in assuming that? Or you're not wrong. Um, so we have it's probably about when you consider the, kind of the entire team, which includes the fulfillment um, as well as the corporate team. I would have to guess it's probably seventy percent female. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. I think for us, diversity, we've always just looked for the best candidates. And, you know, it's funny, we've, we've noticed some roles will get interest from only, only women and some roles will get a great mix of women and men. Um, and we, I, I think for us, one problem we face in terms of diversity is that because our consumers are mostly women, mostly women know about us, right? Um, so when we're targeting with our marketing, a lot of women know about us and not a lot of men know about us. So when we are hiring for people, we do see a disproportionate, you know, amount of women applying because they just have heard of the brand before. So that's something I do think a lot about um, because I, I do want a diverse team, and I think we certainly are are on our way to building that. But it's it's funny; some roles will get literally like four hundred applicants, and it's all women. It's, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> you know, Lindsay, you know, we're about to wrap this up. But what would be three bits of advice you'd give leaders and entrepreneurs based on the journey you've taken so far? The first is to trust your gut. I know it sounds like, you know, you hear that from everyone, but until you actually experience it for yourself, which I've now learned, it's just, it's so important. You don't, no one knows the answer better than you. You can take advice from everyone, but at the, ultimately at the end of the day, you have to trust your gut. Um, I think the second thing is, is don't be afraid to not know the answer. Um, I think, like I said, it's, it's great to exude confidence, but at the same time, you're not expected to know everything. I'm not going to be the best at everything and reminding yourself that that you, you, you can ask questions and you can surround yourself with the people who do have the answer um, to balance out your, your weaknesses, which is exactly what I think Liz and I have done in our partnership. Um, and the last thing I would say is, is probably um, don't, don't underestimate the power of kind of determination. And I think, you know, even if something is difficult or hard, um, it's it's often more worthwhile than it would be if it was easy, right? If, if you tackle these hard challenges, like setting up 
the customization operation, which I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, it, it kind of went, honestly, it was one of the, the hardest things we've done in, in, in the history of the business. But I came out on the other side, having learned so much about myself and about this new kind of subject field. So um, it was difficult, but don't underestimate your determination. Well, that determination led to a, a, a brand that now has a built-in competitive advantage. It makes it harder for people to copy. So that, that's a great outcome. You know, I'm going to wrap this up with one final question here, you know, and I want to go back to the beginning. Tell us a story about your upbringing that will tell us the most about what kind of leader you are today. I would say, um, you know, my upbringing, I was, I had a very fortunate upbringing. Um, and I think my, my dad worked his butt off, um, throughout my entire childhood. I have two older brothers. Um, one is almost eight years older than me and the other is about five years older than me. Um, so I'm the baby of the family. Um, but because they were a lot older and my dad was working really hard, um, we moved around the country a lot. And both of my brothers went off to boarding school to kind of give them that stability as, as our family was making a lot of moves, um, which, you know, led me to be, you know, home a, a, sort of as an only child, right, as I was growing up. Um, and I think just this, I was able to learn independence. I think, of course, I have like an incredible support system in my family and I, I'm so fortunate. But I think I learned independence from an early age, um, just, you know, making sure that I was on time and I had my homework prepared. And my mom always joked that other moms would say, oh, gosh, like, you know, they have the science project coming up. Like, we've been working on it all night. My mom would say, like, what science project? Um, I was just very independent and sort of I didn't, you know, my parents weren't holding my hand every step of the way. Um, and I think that was, you know, by design. And, and I'm very fortunate for that. So I think just having that independence and confidence to do what we've done. I probably would have never have taken the risk of starting my own company had that not been part of my upbringing. Well, Lindsay, you are off to a great start. You know, it's so exciting to see that independence really comes through. And uh, I want to thank you for taking the time to, to have this conversation with me and just wish you all the best. You know, the one great thing I know you were giving back to your family is they have to all have some really wonderful towels. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, they Go are easy. stocked up. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. I'll tell you what, I always get so excited when I can talk to a young person who's building a brand and making big things happen. And Lindsay Johnson is doing just that. And one of the things I really appreciated about Lindsay is that sure, she's passionate about what she's doing. She obviously has a zeal for attacking her business, but she makes it more than just passion. She makes it substantive as well. She's learning everything you can possibly learn about her category, her product, so that she can build a winning business model. Lindsay shows us that we need to combine passion with substance. Now, I think a lot of leaders tend to lean in on one and kind of neglect the other. So this week, as part of your weekly personal development plan, I want you to think about this. Are there opportunities for you to really up the ante on your passion, to create more energy around a big challenge you're facing? Or do you see a chance to wade into the substance of a problem, to really dig into the details and specifics of your category, just like Lindsay did? It's not only possible to have passion in substance, I'd say it's critical that you have both. And Lindsay teaches us that being able to do both is a huge advantage if we wanna become the very best leader we can be. So do you wanna know how leaders lead? What we learned today is that great leaders pair passion with substance. 
Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead, where every Thursday you get to listen in while I interview some of the very best leaders in the world. I make it a point to give you something simple in each episode that you can apply to your business so that you will become the best leader you can be. 